God to seek you. God, thank you that your mercy has never failed us, Lord. Thank you that your love is ever faithful. And even right now, through your grace, Lord, what we breathe in, the air we breathe in, gives us life, Lord. And, and this breath, Lord, we want to speak and praise you, God, of your goodness. And Lord, with every breath, Lord, we want to live this life for you. So I ask, God, that you would bless your word this morning. Anoint it with your spirit. And I ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. amen. Love to hear that amen. You know, it's... Uh, when we were doing the live stream, I, I had to say my own and amens. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd love to hear that. Hey, I thought it was, this was a funny article about the worst Mother's Day gift ever given. The Houston Chronicle reported on how a husband, Jerry Maltz, remembered his wife on Mother's Day by giving her an iron. Yes, an iron. I guess he did an iron her shirts. Now, he did get a message from his wife. Because his wife remembered him on Father's Day. And on Father's Day, the wife gave him an ironing board. (laughs) Well, at least he was remembered, right? But it's probably better to be remembered for the good that you do and not the bad. Well, today we begin a new study in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And in our passage, the The Apostle Paul, he reassures the believers that they are remembered for their faithfulness to the Lord and who they are in Christ now. And so I titled our message this morning, You Are Remembered. You Are Remembered. We're going to be studying 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1 from verse 1 through 4. 1 through 4 this morning. And in these four verses, we're going to see three things. And this is our outline. Number one, the opening introduction. Number two, the observant intercession. And number three, the obvious indication. So let's begin here. You are remembered as our title once again. And number one in our outline, the opening introduction. The opening introduction. Take a look with me here now. First Thessalonians chapter one. And we're going to take just this first verse. But let's begin with this first part. It says here, verse 1, Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy. And we're going to stop right there with those three names. We begin with the names of three men. Paul is the first name written here. And this is Paul the Apostle. We know him. He's, he's written like two-thirds of the New Testament. He's, he's the Apostle that God saved. Remember, he was Saul, and God came to him on the road to Damascus and saved him. The second name is Silvanus, or we probably know him more as Silas from the book of Acts, which is Paul's missionary companion. They went out on this second missionary journey together to various places. And then the third name we have here is Timothy, and we know Timothy too. Timothy is Paul's assistant, his protege, his disciple. And actually, Timothy went along with Silas and Paul on his second missionary uh, journey. Now, this book, we call it a book in our Bible, is really a letter or an epistle, they call it. And like a text message or like an like email, what we see here is the ancient letter begins with who the writers are. So any of the epistles you read, it's going to start out this way. It's going to tell you who the authors are. 
So we see here, Paul really is a key writer, but with him is Silas and Timothy like on, at his side supporting him. Well, let's go on here in verse 1. Then after the writers, it says, To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in this style of an ancient letter, next, the letters mention who this is written to. This is, this is the recipient's. First is the author, the writer, and next is who this is written to. And here we see it's written to the church of the Thessalonians. And again, this is the first of two letters that will be written or will study that are written to the Thessalonians, uh, the people there. Now, this church was located in the city of Thessalonica. That's right, Thessalonians. Now, that was a main city in Macedonia. It was, it was the capital, actually. It, it, and, and on today's map, it is in the northeast area of Greece. So if you can picture that, that's where it's located. Well, in the ancient time, this city of Thessalonica was located, they called, on the Ignatian Way which was the major trade route of the Roman Empire, the Roman road. That's what we, we may know that by. And this city, Thessalonica, also held a major seaport. So a lot of shipping came through. A lot of trade came through. So you can imagine this city. It was a bustling city of over 200,000 people in the population. It was made up of, of Jews, of, of Greeks, of Romans, all kind of people living there, merchants, businessmen, uh, sailors, travelers. So it, it was a bustling city. And even there, it was, as in any of these ancient cities, there was pagan temples uh, to idols and all located here. But it was here that God planted this church, this uh, church, the Thessalonians, who Paul is writing to. And it was planted, as we read here, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus planted, God planted this church. And this was when Paul, Silas, Timothy, on their second missionary journey, Acts 17, that they came and shared Jesus Christ there, and people believed, and people came to know the Lord. So, we see so far, basically, Paul wrote this letter, and it was written to the Thessalonians, the church in Thessalonica. Then Paul says this at the end of verse 1, Grace to you and peace. Now, in the style of an ancient letter, after who it's from and who it's to, comes a blessing. This is the way they wrote letters, whether uh, it was a Roman person or a Greek person. But here Paul is writing in the same style, and here's the blessing. And, and here, really, when he mentions grace and peace, this is what is known as the twin sisters that Paul normally puts into his letters. And, and that's what we see and we've seen in the other epistles that we have studied written by Paul. Grace, as we know, we mentioned that last week, right, is unearned favor, undeserved favor. And it's given freely, right, because of God and his love toward us. That's, that's grace. Peace is two things, I'm sure, what's in Paul's mind. One is the peace between God and sinners that Christ brought when he died on the cross. So that's the peace from God. But there's also the peace of God, which is the peace that God gives believers to help us and to feel his presence, to help us get through things. We have that peace of God. And so 
Think about that. There's no better wish, right, than to wish someone grace every day and peace every day. And so there's no better blessing to write here. And this is why Paul always puts this here in his letters. So with this blessing, Paul gives the opening introduction. And thus our heading here. Now, you got to picture this. The Thessalonians must have been excited to receive this letter. They were all gathered together in church and they would read this letter. This is like Bible study back then. Paul sent this letter. And so uh, someone would probably be reading the letter as they gathered together. And I'm sure they were excited to receive this letter. To know that they weren't forgotten. That they were remembered as Paul sent this letter. Originally, remember, Paul, as I mentioned, Paul and Silas and Timothy came to the city, shared the gospel, and many believed, we find. But, if you remember the story, there were some opposing Jews who hired some wicked men to incite a mob against them. And because of the danger, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they had to sneak away. Uh, later, Paul sent Silas and Timothy back to Thessalonica to help the church there and then they returned back to Paul Paul was in Corinth actually and they came back uh, sharing with Paul the report of the church was doing good and they also had some questions so that's why Paul now writes this letter it's about uh, 51 AD when he wrote this and he's writing from the city of Corinth he had planted a church there he spent a year and a half there and while he was there he wrote first Thessalonians. And 1 Thessalonians, one of the earliest letters that Paul wrote. That and Galatians were the early letters here. Okay, so what we see here in the opening introductions is this. Paul's anticipated letters is sent bearing blessings and answers for the Thessalonians. So as we get into this, as Paul opens, we see that Paul's anticipated letter is sent bearing blessings and answers for the Thessalonians. I don't know about you, but every day I'm checking my email. Yeah? I'm, check, I'm, I'm looking at my phone or on my computer, and I'm checking to see what new emails are there. Some I, I read right away, right? Some, some I read later, some I just delete, right? Like junk ads, right? You ever get junk email? It's like delete, 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 right? Uh, how about like those policy updates, yeah, from PayPal or Amazon? I'm like, boring, delete, delete, right, kind of thing. Or Maui electric bill, yeah. Oh, here's some electric bill. What do you do? Delete, right? No, no. <laughs> now, oh, I'll, I'll do that for later, later, right? Or maybe you get those sales emails, you know, Costco or something. Well, forward over to Kristen, right, you know, kind of things. Or maybe, like, I'll get an email from my mother. Hi, Mom. She's, I think she says she's going to connect. And what do you do? You delete? No, no. You read it or else. Just joking. Just joking. But then there's those emails, right? Surfboard sale. Oh, I'm going to read that right now, right? So, you know, there's those letters, those emails, those texts that you get. You're like, whoa, what's this? And you're, you're into it. Well, I believe that's what these Thessalonians, that I believe they were excited to receive Paul's letter. For they knew it contained blessing. It bared blessings and answers to the questions they sent back with Timothy and Silas to Paul. So they're excited to get into this letter as soon as Paul begins to write. 
You know what? I want us, you and I, to approach this study in 1 Thessalonians with this eagerness also. To be excited to get into this book, to hear from God. Just like they are wanting to do that and excited about. I ask you guys to commit to go through this book with me. Let us together learn and find the blessings and answers to what is presented here in the book of 1 Thessalonians. I was thinking about what Jesus Christ said in Luke 24, 45. It says, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And I love that thought. Because that's what God wants to do for us. Jesus wants to open our minds to understand the scriptures here. Because you know what? This is important, right? This is important to know the word. It's important for your spiritual growth. Listen now. It's directly related to how much time and effort you put into studying scripture. Did you know that? Because it's the word of God. Because this is our food. This is what nourishes us. This is what grows us. You know, there's some books, they'll give you information. But the Bible brings about transformation. And so that's why it's so important to get into the Bible and for all of us to commit. And I know I say this with every book, but every book is important, right? But I mean, really, you guys, let's do this. I mean, at first we're like, yeah, yeah, we're going to do this. Yeah, Pastor Rick, we're going to do this. But you know what? Sometimes we don't finish well, right? But we want to start good and finish well, too. Yeah. So as Paul took the time to write this letter. So God wants us to take the time to hear him speak to us. Because you know why? You are on his mind. Because you know why? He's led me and he wants to speak to us through this book because he's thinking of you because you are remembered. Well, let's go to number two, the observant intercession, the observant intercession. Number one is the opening introduction, and now number two, the observant intercession. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Now, in the style of ancient letters, Paul goes on here, and Paul, he will usually give like a prayer of thanks to the Lord, and he'll pray for the people he's writing to. But here he shares what his prayers were about these Thessalonians. The team here, he says, we we give thanks to God always. For what? For God's work in their lives, in the lives of these Thessalonians. And they have been constantly, as he writes here, praying for them. Now, you can tell by that that not only are the Thessalonians important, to these guys, but you can tell how much they believe in prayer by this constant and consistent time in prayer. I like something Ian Bounds said. Ian Bounds once wrote, the little estimate we put on prayer is evident from the little time we give it. That's convicting. Yeah. If prayer is important, then we would put more time into it. Well, these guys, they put time into it. They know That prayer makes a difference. So then he goes on here. Look at verse 3. Before our God and Father, your work of, uh, before, remembering, sorry, before our God and Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So now Paul writes on, on why he thanks the Lord, on what he's praying for them about. Paul writes on how basically how they are remembered, remembering. I remember this stuff about you. I remember when I was there. And probably the report just confirms more of it when Timothy and Silas came back to him. So he thanks God. Really what we see here is for three qualities of these Thessalonians that stood out about them. And so this is the observant intercession, as I call it here. Now, Paul thanked God and prayed for three standout qualities. And I want to look at this quickly. Three standout qualities. Number one is their work of faith. Number two, their labor of love. And number three, their steadfastness of hope. So let's take this first quality, their work of faith. Now, Paul writes, remembering your work of faith, uh, it speaks of their actions from the result of their faith and belief in Jesus. A result of their salvation come out, comes out this change of life here. You see, the way you live and the actions you take, the works you do, is not to be saved, but it's because you are saved, right? It, because of your faith in Christ, that, then a change comes and out comes these Actions. You remember what James 2.20 said? Faith apart from works is useless, or faith apart from works is dead, right? The, the old King James. James chapter 2, verse 18 says, I will show you my faith by my works. So Paul is saying the evidence he sees of them being a Christian is not just saying, I believe, but it is coming out in the way they carry themselves in their life, in the actions that they take. In, what I see, is a changed life. The Thessalonians lived out a changed life. They, they did not just talk the walk, but they walked the talk. That's what they did. So, they, Paul remembered their work of faith. Secondly now, in a stand, another standout quality is their labor of love. He writes here, their labor love. Paul remembers their labor love. Labor means toil or put in a full effort to the point of exhaustion. Love, we know here in the New Testament, usually, and this is translated agape, right? And we know that word. It means unconditional love. It means a selfless love. It means a love that just gives to give. Even if a person doesn't deserve it, it's it's just a giving love. So the idea here is these Thessalonians sacrificially and willingly went the distance in their love for God and others. Remember, this church was born really out of persecution, as I mentioned to you. But that did not stop these believers from loving God. That did not stop them from loving others. Paul saying, you know, I remember this about you. It's been confirmed, and I, 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 we pray for you about these things. They kept loving, even when it was hard, with a sacrificial love. And no wonder, isn't that the love that Jesus gives us, right? This is what he's done. And now that Jesus lives in them, that's in their heart also. When God gets a hold of a life and the heart, you not only love Jesus, you not only love others, but you love the lost. And I think we need to be reminded of that kind of love that we need to have for one another. All right, three standout qualities. Number one, their work of faith. Number two, their labor of love. And number three, their steadfastness of hope. Steadfastness means 
endurance, like digging in and, and not backing down. It means to stay even under extreme pressure, to not give up. And what are you to be steadfast in? Our hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's two things here I want to show you. First of all, when he talks about hope, it talks about the sure hope in, the, in your future of living in heaven with Jesus Christ. That's the hope we have, that, that we have salvation, we have eternal life. The second is the sure hope of the return of Jesus to take you home to live in heaven with him. That's what Paul is writing here, that we be steadfast, endure, and hold on to that hope that Jesus, we will be one day with him and that he's going to return and take us home. And with this, I want to give you the theme of 1 Thessalonians. This is the key theme of 1 Thessalonians. I usually give you the theme, right, of the book. And this is the theme. Finding strength in the hope of the return of Jesus. Finding strength in the hope of the return of Jesus. This is our theme for this book. This is what we're going to see. And maybe that gives you a little peek into why I felt led to do this because we're living in times where Jesus is coming back soon. And when we're living in times where it may get difficult and we need that strength and we need to hold on to the hope no matter what goes on in this world, in our society, that Jesus is returning and we could keep going on. Turn over to chapter 4 here in 1 Thessalonians and a couple of verses that relate to our theme. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse 14. It says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And then verse 17, skip down, it says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now when we get to this chapter, we'll get into more detail of this, but but basically... Just as we believe that Christ died and rose again, so we know that Christ will return again. And so we know that those who have died, who have gone on before us, they are with Christ. And so we know that we will be resurrected when the Lord returns and be together with those other believers who have passed away before us and we will live forever with Jesus. We We will go to be with Him. And that's our hope. That's what gives us the strength to keep going here, to keep going, that that eternal focus on what's coming up ahead, no matter what's coming, going on here. Okay, so when Paul prayed, and this is our point here, what made Paul so thankful was remembering the clear evidence of God's work in their lives. That's what he sees. He sees that work of faith in them. He sees, he sees that, that labor of love and this steadfast hope that they held on to Christ's return. So what made Paul so thankful was remembering the clear evidence of God's work in their lives. And that's what Paul remembered about them. In 1988, I'm sorry, 1888, a man named Alfred Bernard Noble woke up to read his own obituary in the morning paper. His brother had recently died, and by mistake, the paper reported that he had died. But what shocked Alfred even more was the critical nature of the obituary. You see, Alfred, he was an inventor. He made many inventions, but his most famous was dynamite. And dynamite was not only used in construction, but also in war. And the paper uh, called 
uh, thinking Alfred had died, called him the merchant of death. And that bothered him that he was remembered in that way. So after talking in the paper, correcting the mistake, he committed and set out to use his wealth to promote peace, not war. To promote peace and not destruction and death. So he changed his will, he changed his trust, and he left 94% to what he wanted to be remembered for, and that was peace. That was his real heart. So today, the most valued prizes is given out of his trust now, is given to those who have done the most to promote world peace. And this prize is called the Nobel Peace Prize. That's where it came from. He wanted to be remembered in that way. And so what stood out to Paul was how these Thessalonians lived that changed life. Because of that, Paul says, you're remembered. You're remembered in prayer. You're remembered in these things, and we thank God for that. Let me ask you, how would you be remembered? What are you remembered for? What stands out about you? Oh, he's such an angry person. Or is it, oh, he's so patient even with me. How about, oh, she's so scary and mean. Or maybe it's more, she's so kind with her words. Oh, he only cares about himself. Or he always puts others first. Oh, she, oh, whenever I'm around her, she makes me feel so unworthy. Or whenever I'm around her, she makes me feel loved, even in my failure. What do people remember about you? Your dedication to Jesus? Or your hypocrisy? You're one way here and you're different during the week? What is it that people remember about you? What would you be remembered for? You know, Robert Mary McShane once said, Live so as to be missed. That's how I want to live. I want to be remembered so I'd be missed. So let's live like that. And then you will be remembered. Let's go on to number three now in our outline. The obvious indication. The obvious indication. We've seen the opening introduction, the observant intercession. And now the obvious indication. This is our last verse here this morning. First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 4 now. Paul writes here, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Okay, so Paul writes, for we know. And, and the word know means like we see, we perceive. We can see that your faith is real, that you're genuine in, in the way you live. And, and so Paul says next, and, and he's kind of describing, just saying, brothers, you guys are loved by God. We see that. We see that, the change in life and what God has done. You're loved by God. It's evident of that. Now, the word brothers here actually means like siblings. It actually means like children of the same family. So it's not necessarily just brothers, you know, it's sisters in the Lord. It's children of God, basically. So Paul's saying, hey, you are the children of God. You are the ones who are loved by God. And, he says, we know from the way you live your life, it's evident, then he says here at the end of verse 4, that God has chosen you, that God has come to you, saved you to walk with him. And so this is the obvious indication in, in the way they live and everything. This is Paul saying, hey, this is in the case. This is evident. This is obvious. God has chosen you. Now, 
this word, this, with this word chosen, this probably brings up a lot of things in your mind. And we've talked about this in the past, but here we are in the word of God and the word chosen is brought up here. And this speaks of divine election. It, it brings up that subject of divine election and I want to bring in free will, just so we balance this thought. Now, first of all, the Bible teaches that God has chosen believers to be saved. The Bible teaches that. There's many scriptures. Like Ephesians 1, 4 says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. He, he chose us before even the world was made. He, he chose us. He picked us. He knew us. He chose us to become His children. Even Jesus talked about it in John 15, 16. Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you. He chose us to be His children. He chose us to be saved, to be part of his family. Now, I know in our minds right away we start to think, well, does that mean that God chose people to go to hell then? Does he choose someone to go to heaven and others to go to hell? No, the Bible doesn't teach that at all. It does teach that God chose us, as we're reading here, these Thessalonians, these believers, and it's evident in their walk and what's coming out, their changed life, that God has chosen him. But the Bible doesn't say that God chooses people to go to hell. But the Bible chooses this. Every person has a free will to be able to choose. That's what the Bible teaches. God presents his gospel, and we all have the free will to choose if we're going to receive and believe in Christ or not. Romans 10.13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you choose to call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. Everyone is presented with a choice. Every person in the world is presented with the choice to choose or not choose Jesus. And everyone who does call upon Jesus, who does choose Jesus, we see in Romans 10, 13, will be saved. So I know now you're probably going, okay, God chooses, but we have free will. Wait, 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 uh, um, how, how, how does that work? Well, here's the third thing to understand. God holds together both truths. God holds together both truths. In John chapter 6, verse 37, we see this. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So we see both truths in John 6.37. This is like two sides of the coin. Divine election and free will, the human opportunity to choose, is two sides, really, of the same coin. You know, I always think about, remember the state quarters? Remember that? Remember Hawaii's state quarter? On one side had, what, George Washington's head? And if you flip it around to the back, who was there? King Kamehameha, right, was standing there. So they're two very different people, right? One, the first president of the United States, and one is the, 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 the king of the Hawaiian kingdom, right? Two different, but they're on the same coin. That's the idea here. Two different truths, but the same coin, two different sides. And here's the last thing. I know it's hard to reconcile this and put everything together, in our minds, they seem so opposite. But remember, we're limited in our thinking. God wants us, and this is the fourth thing, to accept both sides of the truth in faith. It's in the Word. Everything I'm telling you is in the Word. And, and if it's in there, it's the truth. And if in, in there, we got it in faith, 
accept it. We cannot figure it out. But you know what? God has figured it out. And I'm glad because he's God, right? We're not. I'm glad he's smarter than us. I'm glad he, he, he has more wisdom and, and he knows more than us. Remember what Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, we have to accept both sides of the truth in faith that this is what it is, and we believe in both things. Maybe you're asking yourself right now, well, how do I know if I'm chosen by God then? You know what the answer is? Make the choice to come to Jesus, and then you'll know that you are. That's it. That's it, you guys. Spurgeon once put it this way. When you go to heaven, on the front of the door, we'll say, whoever will, let him come in. And then after you enter and you, and, and you look at the back side of the door and close the door, you'll see on the back of the door, chosen before the foundation of the world. That's the way to look at it. Listen, if it's still confusing, we can talk about it later. I, I love this subject. I love talking about this. But don't miss the main thing we're seeing here in First Thessalonians. Focus in on this fact. What does he say right before that? Brothers, you are loved by God. Right? Focus in on that. The fifth thing here is God chose you because he loves you. You're loved by God. If you want to understand anything here, you are chosen because God loves you. Can you imagine that before the foundation of the world, God loved you? Isn't that a nice thought? I mean, this is, this is remember how God chose Israel? You want to know why? Listen to Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 through 8. It says, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. But verse 8, Deuteronomy 7 says, But it is because the Lord loves you. So understand that. If there's anything to understand in this real hard to understand thing, know that if you're in Christ today, God chose you because he loves you. So our last point is this. This is what Paul is saying. It is evident by the way you generally live, God has lovingly chosen you to be his children. It is evident by the way you genuinely live, God has lovingly chosen you to be his children. When the father came home from work, the mother told him to go deal with their son who had been misbehaving all day. She said, you need to go upstairs and have a talk with your son. The father said, okay. But then he asked the mother, why is it, you know, whenever the boy was disobedient, she changed him to your son and not our son. Well, the mother said, well, because when he's good, he's more like me. But when he's bad, he's more like you. <laughs> While it was evident that the Thessalonians believers were chosen and saved, were in Christ Jesus, for they carried themselves in a manner as one who is called a child of God. How about you today? Whose son or daughter are you? Are you a son or daughter of God, of the Heavenly Father? Can others tell you're a child of God? Now understand here, Paul's not saying the Thessalonians were perfect in how they live and they're so holy. He's, he's not saying that. 
But in general, they lived a transformed life that showed that God was in their life, that God had chosen them, that they were loved by God. You know what the thing is? God chooses us. Think about this. Even knowing our defects, yeah? If he knew us from before foundation of the world, and he could look, look into the future and say, oh, look at, look at Rick. Oh, look at Rick, you know. I don't know if I'd choose myself. But despite my sins and failures, God chose me, and that's love. You know what God told Israel? I have loved you with an everlasting love. You know what that is? That is an eternal love. It flows from eternity. It doesn't, it doesn't run out. It keeps going. It's an everlasting love. So, understand today, His love for you is secure. And you know what? That should just um, humble us. It should just, I don't know about you, it, it makes me cry sometimes to know that God loves me so much. And that should motivate us to live for Him, to be who He wants us to be. God made His choice, so we gotta make our choice for God. You know, we, we, we love to sing and declare, right, in that song, Who You Say I Am, right? Who the sun sets free. Uh, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God, right? Yes, I am. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. And I love the bridge, right? What does it say? I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. For you are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. You guys, we sing that. I love it. But we got to live it. We got to live it, live it and be that, that child of God. Live like you're a child of God. You are chosen, not forsaken. Well, as we finish up here, remember, you now belong to a new family. You are no longer that old person. God has brought you in now into his family. And you know what? That's what you are to be remembered for. Let me, I'll close with this story. When Leslie Lynch King Jr. died in 2006 of December, it made headlines around the world. Flags were lowered, half-staff. But that's what happens when a president of the United States passes away. But who is this president? Well, he was remembered for being a decent, honorable man, strong values. He became president when the country was going through a crisis in their leadership. Who is this? The 38th president of the United States? Well, he was born Leslie Lynch King Jr., but later his name was changed to Gerald R. Ford. His parents had divorced when he was young. Uh, It was said his father was uh, abusive, had a drinking problem. The mother moved away, later remarried a man named Gerald Ford. And he was this uh, salesman, paint salesman. Well, later the father formally adopted Leslie and changed his name to his own Gerald Ford. He was born Leslie King Jr., but when he entered a new family, his adoptive name became Gerald R. Ford, which is how... We remember him. Listen, do you see that we were once part of the world? But God adopted us into his family, chose us. And now we have a new name. We're a new person. And we've been chosen now to live for Jesus. And as you live for Jesus, that's how you are remembered. Let's pray. God, we want to be remembered for being a follower of you. 
We want to be remembered, God, for Jesus in our lives, for being a child of God, Lord, nothing else. So, Lord, as you're moving by your spirit in our hearts and convicting us and drawing us to you, and as we understand, God, the verses we have studied, God, may you transform us, Lord. God, we don't want this to just be information, Lord, but we want it to be a transformation today. And so I pray, God, for each person here, Lord, today, each person connected in, each person even listening in later, God, that you would do your work of transformation. And that transformation would mean that we are living this life of Jesus. We're living it out in our lives. So we thank you for your word. We give our heart to you. In Jesus' name, amen.